Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I like to stay alive. Oh, I'd like to go to Neil. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? It's Owen, Murph, and Richie on today's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, Murph. Hello, Owen. How are you, Richie? Lads, how are you? We're pretty good. Ken is off on holidays today. I will miss him, I must say, but it's all right because it will gives you? me... Yeah, a little bit, yeah. gives me a chance to wax lyrical about one of my favourite footballers without fear of Ken interjecting to tell me that he's not all that. <laughs> Andres Iniesta. And user all are an idiot. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You can print that. Andres Iniesta, Barcelona superstar. Uh, is a guy I've watched a few times. Well, I've watched for well over a mm-hmm. decade. I've seen him live a few times. Every time I return to Ken after seeing him, I think in three Barcelona games, um, Ken being my oracle for all football-related matters, I, I report breathlessly about Iniesta's latest feats, superhuman feats, and Ken generally just grunts, mm, he's all right. It's, Ken treats Iniesta a bit like the way Pep speaks about Sergio Aguero. He kind of accepts he's a good player, but holds back from the really warm mm. praise. In fact, to use a non-football example... It's the way Patrick Harrington forensically assessed the career of Rory McIlroy this weekend in the company <laughs> of Rory McIlroy. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this. Yeah, yeah, I this read the uh, Paul the Kimmich opinion. interview, yeah. So Paul Kimmich sits the two of them down, and what I liked about it was he sat Shane Lowry and Patrick Harrington down a couple of years back, or more recently than that, and it worked very well, but it was very much... They were very fond of each other. They were clearly quite mm. close, uh, even though there's an age gap there as well. They're they're very close and they they hang around together. And it was that sort of an interview. It was Potter Carrington dominating a lot of the conversation. Mm. This was two guys who don't have any relationship, really, aside from being Ireland's two greatest golfers of all time, mm. whose careers happen to have overlapped. So there are all these amazing bits. There's one where Potter Carrington says, I'm at a stage where I've done what I need to do. You're at a stage, Rory, where you're still trying to get more. Actually, I'm going to say this. It's probably not what you want to hear. But four majors for you is a failure. <laughs> Rory McIlroy says, I 100% agree. <laughs> Later, Kimmich asks him, Potter, what quality do you admire most in Rory? There are two things that stand out with Rory. The first thing kills him, but it also makes him, and that's his belief. When it's there, it's phenomenal. And when it's not there, it hurts him. When he has it, he sends people running scared. When he doesn't have it, he fades. You can see that from the sideline. The second thing that stands out, I wonder sometimes about how you present yourself, Rory, to the world. It always seems much colder than who you really are. <laughs> 
Rory nods at this stage. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in your company where I haven't walked away thinking you're a nicer guy than I thought beforehand. And yet media-wise, you can sound quite cold and clinical at times. And I think he's trying to be Tiger Woods because you present this wall. So the two things Harrington admires most of McElroy are his belief, which is a double-edged sword, and his warm personality, which he keeps completely <laughs> hidden from public view. I don't know if I would have the self-confidence to survive a character assessment <laughs> from Potter Harrington there. Assessment or assassination? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is, there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of positivity from no, there is, both there men is. towards each other. But good piece, it was quite striking that every now and again, Harrington would just throw in this bomb and McElroy would say, yeah, you're, you're partially right there, Potter. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed from the <laughs> picture of the two of them, two dictaphones were used. Ah, uh, so Paul I, Kimmich knows what he's doing. He's a man of experience. I don't know the last time Paul Paul Kimmich's tape ran out, Richie. <laughs> I think he knows what he's doing. Mm. It's probably fair. It, would, yeah, it would appear that way. <laughs> I'm sure Andrew Iniesta could handle a Harrington character assessment. It's almost nine years since Iniesta scored maybe his most famous goal that wasn't scored in a World Cup final. It was the beautiful arcing strike from the edge of the box that killed Chelsea in the last minute of the 2009 Champions League semi-final at Stamford Bridge. It was the game in case you don't remember, where Chelsea felt they had a load of penalties that they should have had, mm. but they're all turned down. Before them, probably, by the end of it. And Didier Drogba delivered his succinct analysis straight to camera afterwards. It's a fucking disgrace! <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, what spent, did he mean? I, I, I have yeah, no tell idea. Yeah, what you really think. Exactly, you? yeah. Not helped by the fact, I think he got a ban from, not helped he did, from, yeah. Yeah, by the fact that he had spent the previous 30 seconds haranguing the ref. Yeah. So he couldn't quite disassociate the comment from the referee's yeah. performance. It all seemed to be of a, of a piece, yeah, really. Yeah, just yeah. then spit the, ca- the referee ignores him. He spins around, <laughs> roars into the camera. It's and the arm gestures, mistake. waving sort of waving his arms frantically as yeah. well, calling it a effing disgrace. Oh, yes, well. uh, is still going strong at 33 years of age. He'll be back at Sanford Bridge tomorrow night. We're going to talk to Sid Lowe on the podcast about that today. I want to talk to you, Richie, about mm-hmm. Republic of Ireland managers past and future. Mm-hmm. The future is Chris Hutton. We'll get to him. The past, which could be the future again, is Mick McCarthy, who knows. But he has apologised for any offence he caused while celebrating Luke Chambers' goal at Norwich on Sunday. He has reiterated, did not aim his comments at the Blues fans. So for people who didn't see this, they scored a goal. How would you describe this, Murphy? He gave a normal kind of fist clench. Yeah, but then... Then he followed up. With kind of a, okay, so your arm is uh, bent at the elbow... And you've got your ar- your 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 left arm is be- bent at the elbow, and your right arm kind of comes across, mm-hmm. which it, it's kind of a like a forceful upward movement of the left arm, yeah. stopped kind of halfway up by your right arm. It's kind of like a posh middle finger. It's like a it, yeah, it's it like a dignified a, middle finger to the people who the people who, in that corner of without the stand, putting that up arrows. the middle finger. Yeah, Al- exactly. Albeit while telling. All and to fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> it's and an you up do- yours gesture. Yeah, of, exactly. Of, yeah, and yeah. you don't you don't have to be a lip reader of any note whatsoever to know exactly what he's saying. Yeah. And in fairness, it does appear to be aimed, if not precisely where the Ipswich fans are, but generally where they are. He's probably wise to say that that wasn't what he had intended mm-hmm. at this point. If he had Richie hypothetically aimed at it, the the Ipswich fans hard as hard enough as though that might be to believe believed I should say would you say it's okay for a manager to get up to that kind of thing I can totally understand why he may have done that had he done that Um, and I understand and I think he's right to apologise and just put it behind him and say I'm sorry for the offence caused whatever way he worded it but I say it felt pretty sweet when he was doing it (laughs) it seemed like he was enjoying himself I mean you'd scored a goal of you know in in a a game of that importance you're you're one up and then you get 
to just lord it over a group of people who have been giving him dogs abuse for quite a while. Like that's that's I mean, that's a that's a pretty sweet moment in professional sport. Sounds I've been in like that somebody speaking from experience. Yeah, I was well, just say, well, your eyes are lighting up at this. I, I, I would have had, um, I've probably talked about this before, long, long, long spells where some, most, maybe every section of the, of the Millwall fans at some point or other were just giving me dog's abuse, justified in many occasions. I was too young and too weak and, and too lacking in self-belief to be in the pitch. There was one particular night, though, when a midweek game, I'd done who the opposition was. I scored a goal, which I think put us one up, and I did the exact same hand gesture that Mick did at the weekend. That kind of up yours thing just in a kind of moment of just I don't know passion or frenzy or, or just relief or anger or I don't know what it was but I just looked at the group of fans in the lower east tier and I just gave it to them and I was like fuck you lot you lot and I mean you lot fuck you lot and that was in the moment about four seconds later when I kind of trotting back to the halfway line in my head I was just doing this big face palm going oh you didn't just do that did you <laughs> you didn't like they could see you you're in the middle of the pitch I don't know why you thought that was a good idea at the time but it's a totally understandable reaction like you hear like even you hear like Damien Duff and the players share when you, when you get players to open up a little bit about what it's like to be the target of abuse and it doesn't kind of matter whether it's justified or not or whether you can understand why you're getting abuse but the experience of being on the receiving end is difficult. Like whether it's in a social, like Wagamama, was that where Duff that was received where Duff, it? Yep, yep. Or on the pitch where, and I would have had both, you know, you're walking down the street and someone gives you dog's abuse or you're in a restaurant or you're in a pub or you're on a pitch. Um, and then in those moments where you do something which kind of hints that the criticism you're getting, it was misplaced, you pounce on it and go, right, you lot, what do you lot know? I've just yeah. done that. But you were at what age? 20, 21 or something when that mm. happened to you? Mick McCarthy is... I'm going to check his age now for you, actually. Are you going to hint towards he should know better? Mick McCarthy turns 60 next February. He's just turned 59. He has <laughs> managed in World Cups. He's played in World Cups. Yeah, he might have a point here. Managed a lot of teams. Does there not come a point where you develop a slightly thicker skin and you just don't let that stuff get to you? You don't celebrate like that. Well, but isn't there... Uh, isn't there moments where you just allow someone to be human and respond in a way that is totally understandable? Yes, he's got decades of experience as a manager and being in professional sport and being on the receiving end of criticism. But I don't think that should mean that we should expect him always to be able to file away every little kind of hurtful, critical, obscene thing that's lodged in his direction and put it away in the little box in your head where you just file stuff that you don't care about. That, you know, you get criticised from someone who you don't respect. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't land a blow of any kind because you just don't respect them. It's a bit like has he done this many times over his career? So you're just going to say his age is a sign that he he really should know better. I'm going to go well. His, his age ex- his is experience. a sign. I don't mean to be ageist about it. In fact, I'm not being okay. ageist. I'm I'm giving respect to people who've been on this earth longer yeah. and saying they've experienced enough things that I would have thought they would know better how to handle situations. I. But again, I, I don't know if that's showing an inability to handle a situation. <laughs> he, he's, he, had a, he had a momentary relief, a release of emotion, which is very understandable. And at the nearest, at the earliest opportunity, I assume he apologised. It doesn't matter whether it's sincere or not, or whether if he had his time again, he'd do the exact same thing. But I'm with Mick on this one. It just showed an inability to give a shit at that exact moment. <laughs> and he subsequently decided that maybe I should care about this a small bit. But you, ever, like you, you yourself, right? It, it, watching a match, whether you're in the stadium or on your couch or in a pub, 
and the team that you're following have a game that's of whatever level of importance, but you must know what it feels like to, I'll just use the phrase, you lose your shit. Mm. You, you, you must have had that over the years. Of course. Yeah, right. So let's allow a manager have a moment where he just does something that on reflection goes, oh, Jesus, I don't know if I'd do that, if I'd, if I'd my time again. Mm. Well, somebody I can imagine not going down that route mm. is Chris Hutton. Not at all. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I would like to see it, actually. Let's see what... what would I like to see that? I, I want to see Mick McCarthy more restrained and I want to see Chris Hutton more expressive with his emotions. Well, I, don't know, I don't really know what I want from these managers. I do want Chris Hutton to manage the Republic of Ireland at some stage. Oh, he's doing a great job at Brighton. He is through now to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. They've obviously had a bit of a struggle in the Premier League this year, but they're very much fighting. Uh, and this cup run might, might do no harm at all. A couple of games away from an FA Cup final. What do you make of Hutton? I think it's... A struggle to use that word. I think they would have expected a struggle. It's meant to be a struggle when you've got the squad and, and the relative inexperience at that level that that he has. But um, yeah, he is certainly a manager that I would be most surprised if he had a, we call it a Mick McCarthy moment. <laughs> yeah, um, I met him actually when I was over at the Brighton training ground last month to interview Shane Duffy for the player's chair. I was waiting outside to be picked up and he came out and we had a 10 minute chat. I would have first met him. In, uh, in my role as Brian Kerr's driver, basically when I was working for the agency that Brian was uh, represented by way back, Chris was Brian's number two, so one of my jobs was to kind of ferry job around, uh, Brian around different stadiums in England to keep an eye on players. And on one or two of those days, Chris was with us. Um, and in all the time I've been around him or have ever spoken about him or been in touch with anyone who's ever had anything to do with him, everyone says the same thing, like how well he carries himself or how much you know, how much you would respect him. Um, and, and I remember that was kind of used against him for a long time because he was, wasn't he coach or number two at Tottenham for years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people put him in, because of his temperament, um, put him in that category of, well, he, he's a number two, that I don't think he's got the, the, the whatever it takes to go from being a number two to a number one, which he's kind of proved that to be total nonsense. You, you said you met him at Brighton recently? Yeah, he's... Um, we with we, a 10-minute chat, I kept trying to kind of praise him and ask him how he's doing, and he kind of kept getting the topic off him and kind of go, well, how are you doing? So what then you, you both praised Shane Duffy for a while and talked about how well he's doing. Yeah, we ended up speaking about him and Brighton and what amazing town Brighton is. But he's doing, he's doing a really good job on relatively limited resources. And again, he does... I think back to the time when he got the Newcastle job. I think the summer when he was given it on a, on a kind of temporary basis initially, within a month or two, I think he was given it on a permanent basis. But I remember seeing... They were beaten heavily, five or six nil, I think, in a pre-season friendly. And it was one of those pre-season friendlies where the news reports afterwards said that you know, it was one of these really frank, clear-the-air discussions in the dressing room afterwards, which can mean all sorts of things. And I remember being concerned for him or his future or the merits of taking that job at that <laughs> time because they'd just been relegated. Um, you know, the, the club was being in the hands of the, the, the people, Mike Ashley and all the rest of them. We were kind of from a distance, you kind of wondering, what the hell's going on inside there? Is that a wise role to take on if you're only starting out in, in, in management? And, you know, you got them promoted first season. Yeah, and the interesting thing that it's interesting that you make the point there that people have doubted his temperament. Mm. Uh, that idea that, you know, that, you know, a number two, you know, can be mixed with the players, but a number one has to have, you know, the balls or whatever, you know, the, 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 uh, mental courage to have the job and you know make enemies if required and just get get the job done i mean you're talking about a guy who's one of i think just five 
black managers in English football at the moment. A uh, guy who played in like the late 70s and throughout the 80s and heard like the worst racist abuse imaginable. I just find it like <laughs> laughable that anyone could doubt the guy's temperament because what you see is a guy who has a temperament forged in the most kind of disgusting way possible that that football creates a guy's temperament. Like that's where his his uh, mental capacity in the game, that's where that came from. And so he's he's obviously tougher than the vast majority of managers out there. Way more thick skinned than than almost I would say anyone else in the Premier League. Yeah, it's this thing if if you kind of if you're in any way kind of quietly spoken or understated or you carry yourself with dignity, that there isn't yeah. these extremes of emotions. Yeah, like and, Neil Neil Warnock has the yeah. correct temperament to be yeah. a Premier League manager, but Chris Hutton doesn't. Yeah. which sounds like that's. Yeah, Warnock's got it nailed, like yeah, the way yeah. he carries on. But it, yeah, like you said, the life experiences that Chris would have had and the things that you would have to deal with and just l- learn to perform in the roles that he had over the years given the various challenges that would have faced him to then turn around and question his ability to manage a team of footballers on the back of that I think does seem nonsense last question Richie on Hewton is he a more obvious choice than Roy Keane who has just been touted repeatedly over the last uh, over his entire tenure as assistant manager as the next number one it just seems to be assumed that as long as himself and Delaney have a good re- working relationship these days which they seem to have then there's a pretty smooth succession plan. If Hutton wanted it, surely he'd be better qualified than Roy Keane? Far better qualified. Mm. I, d- I don't know what the counter-argument would be to saying Roy would be a better manager. But continuity and all that kind of thing, that he knows the players, that might be it. Yeah, I, again, I think that's putting... I, I'm not saying... I know you're, you're right to say that they, those are the arguments. I'm not going to have a go at you because I don't think you think that these aren't your arguments, but he, he knows the players. Like, given that everything a player's ever done on a pitch has been recorded. It takes very little time to get to understand what the player's strengths and weaknesses are on the pitch. Um, given Chris's temperament, he's not one of these aloof um, managers that that would, would, would take a very long time to kind of warm or get to know the players at all. So he's got the temperament and the ability and the coaching talent and all that to take the job. Why Roy would want... Why people think Roy is, an, is a candidate, I, I can understand it, but I completely disagree with it. Um what do you want to continue? To use that word alone, just if it's continuity from the Martin O'Neill era, what exactly do you want to hang on to? Um, what has Roy brought to the S- table? Spirit again to say. Okay, what those wh- wh- which, would say. which is really good in a group of players that you think lack spirit, um, that you need to bring. That the appointment of the man in charge of them, that his ability to generate. Um, spirit or motivate them is the key thing. You you would absolutely get that in a group that are a bit flat, that are a bit you know kind of wishy washy about their commitment to their country. That in some way need to be told that listen, what you're about to do tonight in that pitch matters. So get yourselves up for it. I've never heard the Irish players being described as those. So to simply say someone should get a job because he has motivational skills, first of all, it, it, it is garbage. But I don't know what motivational skills we think Roy Keane has. I do hope all of you non World Service football show listeners you Monday only guys I hope you know what you're missing out on because we do football all week long a ton of Champions League on the way this week and on last Thursday's show we read some correspondence from a listener Brian O'Reardon one of our far, far flung P. Bezoers who lives all the way over in northeastern Thailand we feel his email more specifically his girlfriend's sentiments sum up why you yes you should become a world service member it's a whole new way of doing journalism it's brilliant well, yeah, well, that as well from Eamon, but this is what I was talking about. 
One of the few ways I keep in touch with home is through second captains, says Brian. And I'm indulging this by my non-sports-loving Australian wife. She might head off for a massage some afternoon and slightly condescendingly tell me, now you can listen to your potties. <laughs> I think there's a pat on the head Potties, there as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> listen to your little potties there. It's story time for our <laughs> listener. Yeah. I'll be back in two hours trying not yeah. to burn the place down. You know, Every now and again, she'll feign interest in whatever I'm listening to, but there was no faking it this morning when Ken made his comparison between Atletico Madrid defending their mountain pass with a knife between their teeth and Tottenham Hotspur burning down your village and putting your people to the sword. Ah, now I see why you listen to them, said my wife. One of the guys is like some kind of trippy creative writer. Just wait until she gets a load of Owen's bones. Thanks, Brian. Maybe it's a bit overblown, but but what can I say? My brain, my neurons are frazzled by too many storylines, too much hype. All right, potties. If you want to hear the effect of trippy Ken's neurons being frazzled on football shows throughout the week, join us at secondcaptains.com. Please, you can become a World Service member and support independent member-led broadcasting. Not just support it, you can become a part of it. Become a true potty, if you want to phrase it like that. <laughs> You've also missed last week's political podcast with Ken on Jordan Peterson, the Jordan Peterson phenomenon. And the Players' Chair with Richie is going to return this week, which Richie here will tell you all about before we wrap this podcast. And something coming next month, a very big deal indeed. Second captains will turn five years old, which is a little weird. Uh, time has flown, but we will be celebrating with some very special shows for World Service members. More news to come on that in the coming weeks. Are you excited about our fifth birthday, Mark? Of course, son. Who doesn't love a birthday? Not long after Neymar had left Barcelona for PSG, we did one of those Barcelona in crisis pieces on the podcast. A few months later, they're 17 points clear of Real Madrid, unbeaten in 31 league games, into the Copa del Rey final and hot favourites to knock Chelsea out of the Champions League. Sid Lowe, where did it all go right? Um, I, I think in part of it could be kind of attributed to obviously to the quality of the players that they've got. Even though you know, I know that's stating the, the obvious, but there's you know there's there's a lot that you can do when you have Leo Messi in your side. There's a lot you can do when you have Luis Suarez in your side. Even though it's taken a while for him to find his feet, and obviously Sergio Busquets as well. Um, but I think I think a lot of the focus has to be on Ernesto Valverde. Who, if there is a man that you want in charge at a time of crisis, a man that you know will will not make things worse, that will calm things down, that will focus attention on on what really matters, and that has an an admirable ability to kind of cut through the nonsense and, and, and kind of get to the point of, of what really matters, then it's Valverde. And I think I think he's done a very, very good job. When you watch Barcelona, they may not be the side. In fact, they're certainly not the side they once were. They're not as sparkling as they were. The flow, there's not as much flow to the way that they play. But what they've done is reinforce midfield. Of course, Neymar departing hasn't meant seeking a player for the front three. Instead, it's tended to mean leave two up front and add an extra body into midfield. They're, they're, they're a little bit tighter. They're a little bit more compact. They're more defensively sound and while at the start of the season I think they had a relatively comfortable run of fixtures which enabled them to find their feet and even if they weren't completely convincing they were winning I think now um, in, certainly until this last month I think they have convinced the truth is this last month has been a, a slightly more questionable one but I think that can be put down to the physical fatigue of the Copa del Rey Sid the way you described Valverde there he sounds like I don't know a normal human being uh, yes. a reasonable, which, is, right. which is quite rare in top level management I would say and I think that's a very key part of it. I really do. Um, you know, this is the guy that that, that manages to, to, to say, to kind of manage the 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 emotional peaks and troughs of football and, and, and treat them both as, as kind of things that, that he shouldn't really worry about that keeps everybody steady keeps everyone stable I think at a time when it felt like wow you know he, this was the third time that Barcelona had come for him 
And then when it finally happened at the start of the season, it was difficult not to feel a bit sorry for him to think, you know, those other two times when you could have come and it didn't quite happen. And now you come now in the midst of a terrible crisis, because the truth is, it really was a crisis at the institutional level, in terms of the football as well. Of course, we all know that PK after the uh, Spanish Super Cup in the summer said that for the first time since he'd been back at the club, in other words, a decade later, he felt inferior to Real Madrid. And then, as you say, now here they are, 17 points ahead of them. Are there some players you think you feel that maybe they're better off without Neymar? I'm thinking particularly here of Jordi Alba, who you quote in your piece as saying in a recent interview, Neymar's a great player, but without him, I have more space to go up the wing. And to tell the truth, that's much better for me. Defensively, we have gained a lot and the team is much more compact, more focused. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it that from Jordi Alba's personal perspective, this is much better. I think as well, though, it's probably worth slightly refocusing Alba's words in the sense that he's better off with Valverde as well. It's not just that Neymar's gone. He's now got a manager that believes in him um, towards the end. Luis Enrique started to move towards a three at the back which meant that, that Alba was even left out of the side on occasions. It was clear that Alba didn't take that particularly well. Um, and so now, not only is he in the team, he's got a manager that's, that's counting on him, but he's also got a manager that's saying, and you're the one that's going to create for us on the left-hand side without without Neymar. That extra body midfield gives him the freedom to go up the pitch. Because, you know, this is a side that theoretically is playing a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2, but it's an asymmetrical 4-4-2. It's one that doesn't necessarily occupy that side of the pitch. It allows Alba to go there. And obviously, with Messi playing in the middle now, the other thing that's happening from Alba's point of view is Messi is now much, much closer to him. When he had the front three before, Messi was theoretically the right-hand side of those three, albeit he did drift into centre almost all the time. Now he's actually starting in a central position and more often into a position where he can combine with Alba. And Alba, Alba Messi has become a, a fundamental part this season of, of Barcelona's success. Yeah, be as close as you can physically to the best player in the team is, is probably it's not, not a bad plan. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad plan at all from uh, the point of view of Alba. The key man or a key man could be Anders Iniesta in this tie against Chelsea. Sid, obviously, his last minute winner in the 2009 semi final at Sanford Bridge has popped up again this week. Uh, Watch it again. It's just, it's such a goosebumps kind of a, a moment. Was that Iniesta's biggest individual moment, you think, in his club career? I mean, in his club career, without any doubt, and of course, he's, he's yeah. a small matter of a, yeah. a, a World Cup final winner. Um, but, but absolutely, I mean, uh, if you read you read his book, and there are, there are two fundamental moments that he talks about in terms of you know in terms of peaks of his career, and those two are Stamford Bridge uh, and, and then the World Cup. Although although it is true that, that, that Stamford Bridge uh, off the back of that, he then he then went into the final injured, but he, but he made it through, and they, they they won the final, of course, in Rome. Um, but yes, no doubt about it. When these big moments happen for a football team, you often hear that there's uh, a spike in babies born, in this case in Barcelona, as a result of that night. I always think that sounds like a nice cutesy line, a bit of an urban myth, Sid, but in your piece this week, you have some solid evidence. Yeah, I lo- I really really love this. There, there was a spokeswoman for a for a maternity hospital for the maternity ward rather of a hospital in Barcelona who said that she'd gone from kind of in, in the nine months the nine almost exactly nine months after Iniesta ship we'd gone from kind of nine ten births a week to fourteen fifteen which obviously is you know a forty five percent increase even though the, the 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 absolute numbers are not huge and she said you yeah, know this is this is really striking and and they got her on the I remember they got on the radio at the time and she said you know I hope they stop winning titles because otherwise I'm going to have to get some more staff in now of course. This led to the media going a 45% birth rate rise in Catalonia with Iniesta's going for that. That's probably a bit over the top, but actually, uh, some 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 researchers from the with the British Medical Journal did actually publish a piece about this and, and saying that you know in, in in a small 
small um, area of Catalonia, they could they could demonstrate that this did look like it would could be as much as a fifteen or sixteen percent birth rate, and that these kind of anecdotal things that can create—I think the phrase they used was a moments of euphoria celebrated in in an intimate setting, or worse, that effect <laughs> can create a, a, a sudden peak. But well, my my favourite bit about this, in fact, quite a lot of the report was very clearly written tongue in cheek, because it said things like, you know, we have to recognise our own bias as researchers who support Barcelona, and by the way, our other researchers who don't support Barcelona disagreed with our findings <laughs> that Iniesta had caused this, and they made they were made very clear that they had not contributed directly to these findings as yes. well. But the point they made was that it really and truly for this for us to know for sure whether this is an impact, what we really need is for Iniesta to do it again. <laughs> well, we'll see. He's 33 years of age. He's still producing, though. He's playing a lot of football this season. I, th- I feel we can have this conversation now, Sid, because Ken's not here. I, I don't think Ken's always been totally won over by the Anders Iniesta story. Isn't, it doesn't feel maybe, it feels maybe he's a little bit overrated. What is he bringing to the table at 33 years of age? Well, I think what he does, in particular a team without Neymar, and in particular a team that, you know, I, I, I don't really want to use the word rudimentary, but a team that is doing basics very well, that is tight and is compact and, and, and is physically got more of a presence in midfield. You've got Iniesta um, in the side, but you've also got Paulinho and Rakitic alongside Busquets. So it's a more muscular side. What Iniesta gives is that little bit of flow, that control. And, uh, if you like, a bit more of a connection with what Barcelona were. And, and one of the lines that always struck me about Iniesta but it was a line from Leo Messi uh, in which he says when things are going badly the thing I most want and this takes us back to what you were saying earlier about Jordi Alba Leo Messi saying one of the things I most want when things are going badly is for Andres to be near me on the pitch <laughs> Well it's time for Leo Messi to step up against Chelsea City he's never scored against him in eight games No I, I mean I would argue that he hasn't that doesn't mean he's played badly but no. it is true that he hasn't scored against him apparently he's not scored against Courtois either um, and you know not just with Chelsea so, so I suppose it is time for, for, for Messi to step up. Although, you know, every time you suggest that Messi might be lacking in something, he does tend to have a habit of then kind of proving the point. So are you giving Chelsea any chance of, um, of stopping yeah, absolutely. Barcelona? You are, absolutely yeah, absolutely. Because I think, I think if you look at Barcelona over the last four or five weeks, I actually think they are physically um, not quite there now. I think, I think what's happened, I think I'm right in saying that it's 13, maybe 14 games since the start of the year, um, you know, every three days because of the compact nature of the Copa del Rey, the fact that you're playing... Um, first leg and the second leg back to back all the way through the month I think they don't look quite right I think that that they have in terms of results perhaps got slightly better results in their performances although there's no doubt about it their performances have settled and they've started to improve and they did start to really impress at the back end of December for example and with the Classico win in particular but I don't think they're flawless by any means There's also Sevilla Manchester United on Wednesday night a quick word on that Sid what can we expect from Sevilla? Well, Severe, a difficult team to, to, to properly analyse. Obviously, change manager with Montella. I think that, that there's a bit more of a sense of identity about them now, which pro- probably wasn't there earlier in the season. There's been significant improvements, in particular with Mudo Vasquez, who I think is playing very well now. Um, and, and I think this will be more difficult than when the draw was made. To be honest with you, when the draw was made, um, even from a Spanish perspective, I thought, well, this is really genuinely quite easy for Manchester United. I don't think that's the case now. All right, see you. Great to chat to you. Enjoy the games. Thank you. My pleasure. Off to bed I went. My head was fried. I didn't even know there was a damn card in the thing. Fucking I was horror. devastated. I'd been off the smokes a while. Hard Saw that back on there. <laughs> I had a date organised for that night. A first date with someone cancelled that. My head was gone. <laughs> Woke up the following morning and to my absolute amazement I read this message on my phone. Let me tell you, you only get in this because you're a former player of mine and <laughs> I'm not too sure too many journalists would have got the third time lucky. Hi Richie, sorry the equipment didn't work again, but it's no problem for me to do it again. 
maybe see you in Ipswich one day for third time lucky. Best wishes, Mickey. Best wishes, Mickey. I got a job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. I picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So I got a job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. Picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So it was a bit of a whirlwind. Oh God. When I'm just looking down, I think all the red lights are still on. It looks like we've recorded this successfully. Mick, thank you so much for agreeing to do this so many times. Richie, I sincerely hope so because there's no fourth time lucky, let me tell you. Richie, you are here in part to fill in for Ken and what a fine job you've been doing. Big shoes to fill. They, mm. they most certainly shoes. are, yeah. No mention of Jose Mourinho, though, so that's all. We've managed good. to get through. Until now, we got through a Monday without <laughs> mentioning Jose. Yeah. Sorry. But you also, Sorry, I let the side down now. You're also going to promote... Your players' chair tomorrow because you're taking over tomorrow, and it's Dublin footballer Nicole Owens. It is, yeah. We're up to episode thirteen. Nice. The players' chair. Um, Nicole to, to on the field came to prominence in a big way last year in Dublin's attempt to uh, to win the All Ireland, which of course they did. Anyone who would have seen the Blue Sisters documentary on RTE, which covered the team off the pitch and on the field for the year, would have. Uh, Notice Nicole, she contributed in a big way to that. So I was really keen to speak to her about some of the things she mentioned in the documentary about her own struggles with her sexuality, um, her issues around mental health, the support she gets, how that impacted her on and off the pitch over the last few years, um, and about life as a Dublin footballer. Brilliant. Well, I haven't heard it yet, but I hear it's great, Richie. No, it's and brilliant. It's really, really good. It. So we're looking forward to bringing it to your ears tomorrow. One of the most powerful ones you've done was with Paul Stewart. Mm. Um, I think the one that maybe affected you most deeply after talking mm. to him. He was a victim of sexual abuse as a young footballer in England. Now, his abuser died before he could be brought to justice, but I just want to let people know about the Barry Bennell news today. The former Man City and Crew Alexandra coach, he has been sentenced to 31 years. This is from Daniel Taylor's piece in The Guardian. The judge, Clement Goldstone, said that Benel was sheer evil. He said to those boys, you appeared as a god. In reality, you were the devil incarnate. You stole their childhood and their innocence to satisfy your own perversions. Benel, described by the prosecution at Liverpool Crown Court as industrial, an industrial-scale child molester and a predatory and determined paedophile, watched from the dock as players he'd raped and molested as children, now in their 40s and 50s, read out impact statements detailing how his crimes had affected their lives. Now, he'd never actually previously been brought in front of his victims, having appeared via video link during his five-week trial. He cited health issues, or his representatives cited health concerns as the reason why he wasn't there up until now. At one point, though, Gary Cliff, a former Man City junior who was abused hundreds, hundreds of times, he's a guy who you might have read about who was abused on the pitch at Main Road by Benel, approached the dock in, the dock in an attempt to force Benel into eye contact, and he just asked the question, Why? before taking his seat again. Benel didn't make eye contact and just kept his eyes to the floor. So that's one that is certainly not over. We know that the clubs have a lot of questions to answer. We know that there are tons of other complaints that have come up against Benel and others out of this amazing work being done by Daniel Taylor in uh, in The Guardian over the last year, 18 months or so. And we'll return to that in due course. In the meantime, thanks very much, Murph. Thanks, Thanks very much, Richie. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Richie. Thanks, Thanks, Players' chair tomorrow. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.